Our scripture reading for this Sunday is found in John chapter 6, verses 24 to 40. John 26, 22 to 40. Let's hear the word of God. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had entered it with his disciples, but they that but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Jesus, the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miracles, miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do you do not work for food and spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you? On him, God the Father had placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous signs then will you give us, will you give that we may see it and believe you? That will you do. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from the heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you, the truth is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who, gave, who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Say, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the word of God. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Knox. If you are new for this week, if you're a guest here, welcome to you. My name is Phil Reinders, senior minister here at Knox. It's good to 
have us together as a Knox family once again after a summer reprieve. Certainly we did a big welcome last Sunday, but again, any new students, guests, returning family, it's good to be together again. Here at Knox, we are a church that is committed to a certain vision. That vision gets plastered about in different literature here, um, different places, and it's simply this, three phrases, following Jesus, loving the city, serving the world. And it's all rooted in that first phrase, following Jesus. It is so critical, so central to who we are. We are a community, and again, not just a collection of individuals. We're a community, an interconnected community that is birthed by the Spirit of God, centered in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, resurrected, who ascended to the throne, this Jesus. We are a community who follows Jesus. We read about Jesus. We study about Jesus. We worship Jesus along with the Father and the Spirit together. We pray in Jesus' name. We are a community that centers our life on that reality, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who defines us, who guides us, who centers our life. And the natural question would be for anyone is, why would you do such a thing? Why would you devote your lives to form your identities around this Jesus? And today we're going to dive into the story which, which helps clarify some of the, uh, uh, the bulk of the rationale for why Jesus is so relevant, why we center our lives on this person of Jesus Christ. And put simply, we center our lives on Jesus because he has the life we so desperately long for. Jesus Christ says here in this passage, I have eternal life. He's telling us he's got it. He is the possessor of that. He is the giver of this sort of life. And he uses a particular image to describe that life, to to help us understand what this life is all about. Jesus would use many different images uh, and metaphors to talk about this eternal life that he brings. In this case, he talks about this eternal life as bread. He's talking about what it means to be a Christian in terms of digestion. Jesus is saying, I have a life that is meant to get inside of you. I have a life that is meant to go deep in you, that is meant to be metabolized into the very fiber of who you are so that you become someone new. Digestion. I'm the bread of life. Now, in a low-carb, gluten-free world, does this mean Jesus is irrelevant then? What does this mean? Well, Jesus is getting at this biological process of a digestion. However, there's some mechanical processes of digestion, too, um, that are similar. Think of a car. A car digests gas, gasoline. Uh, It doesn't just sit in the tank. It it gets injected into the engine, and in the engine, well, it circulates through the system, and it explodes with a whole new sense of life, and energy gets released, and the car gets powered, it gets moved forward, and similar thing happens when we ingest bread, when we ingest food. Um, It it enters our body, and, and the same way that gas enters an engine, food enters our body, energy gets released, it gets metabolized, it explodes, it influences, it empowers us. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the sort of life. So I got to ask you, um, and I don't know what you might think of Christianity. I don't know if there's some here may not be Christians and and, and wondering about Jesus and exploring. I got to ask you, is there anything about you 
that could be described like this, this sort of supernatural heavenly life that Jesus is talking about, how it comes into your life and how, how it just surges through you, how it circulates through your life, how it explodes with a power breaking through old habits and old ways. Is that kind of thing going on in your life? Is that kind of energy, that kind of force being released and exploded in your life? Is there anything in your life going on that can be described in those sorts of terms? Because this is the life Jesus offers. I am the bread of life, he says. I give you the bread of heaven. Now, Jesus uses a, a, a specific Greek word for life here. He had two Greek words he could have chosen. One word is bios, where we get the word biology from. And, and that's a word for life that talks about just basic physical existence, our basic biological existence. But he's using, he doesn't use that word. He uses another word, zoe, which is the word for a quality of life. And to understand that, let, think of this for a minute. Every one of us have had a moment somewhere in our lives where we have said or thought these words, where we have said or thought, now this is living. Think about it for a minute. Somewhere in your life, you know, maybe you're sitting, relaxing on a beach with someone you serving you some tropical drinks. Maybe it was racing along some waterfront bike trail with the sun shining, and it was just one of these beautiful, magical moments of just exerting your body and experiencing beautiful creation. Or maybe it was getting invited to a posh party with all sorts of people that you thought were pretty important. Or maybe it was just sitting at the end of a dock with a good book and a good cup of coffee. Or in the family room with all the loved ones gathered around you, something inside you said, now that this is living. Somewhere, somehow, we've all said that. Now, did that mean you weren't existing before? Of course you were, right? You were living before. You were breathing. You were talking about a quality of life, weren't you? You were talking about a sense of joy or goodness or a sense of just everything fitting together, a sense of exhilaration, of meaning. And that's the sense of what Jesus is talking about here. This, when he talks about eternal life, when the Bible talks about eternal life, that's what it's talking about. It's, it's, a, it's a sense of life that is not just a temporal thing. Certainly it extends um, into eternal, uh, eternity, but it's, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It is this quality of life that makes life worth living, this joy, this energy, this exhilaration, this meaning in life. This is what Jesus is saying here. I'm this bread of heaven. I'm this bread of life. Not just eternal existence, but a quality of life, ultimate life. And, and interesting, Jesus points out here that each one of us, every person has a certain idea of what that life is like. We all have some notion of, oh, that's, now that's living. We have certain ideas of what it is that we hunger for, for that. He says, he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And what he's saying is, look, all of us are looking around, hunting to, to, to fill that hunger for living in our lives. We're all looking. Every one of us has decided that there is some vision for life that fills that. All of us have a specific idea of what that's like. For a 12-year-old boy, 
I have one in my home. Here's what's living. For a 12-year-old boy, it's consuming an endless supply of all the junk food he could imagine while playing computer games unhindered for as long as he wants. To my son, that's living. Yeah, that's good. And we might chuckle at that and laugh about it, which makes you think, I wonder if God might laugh at what we think living is really like. I wonder if God might be saying, there is so much more. If only you knew. If only you knew. Jesus said, unless your vision for life, unless that bread that you're trying to fill up on is the gospel, unless it's the spirit of God, unless it's me, my presence, it it will spoil. It'll come up empty. And the Bible, and interestingly enough, human history pretty much shows and constantly warns against these false visions of life. It warns us against this bread, which is really not satisfying bread at all, that that promise so much but never deliver. I mean, just look at our world. We have available to us more technology that connects us to other people than ever before. You can Skype with someone across the world on your phone. Come on. You can have hundreds of Facebook friends, thousands of Twitter followers. The convenience and choice offered to us through digital media, it's pretty staggering. And yet, we've never been more lonely, more disconnected. The UK, in the UK, The Guardian once uh, had a paper that talked about the lo- what they say are, quote, the loneliness epidemic among young adults. And then last October, they published an article in The Guardian of calling our time the age of loneliness. Maclean's magazine, the Canadian magazine, published an article last year um, called The End of Neighbors, and it just showed this growing disconnect in our country, just amongst people and basic social circumstances. We're so disconnected, so lonely. Or think of this, we have more things to enjoy. We accumulate more possessions. We have more money than any other age, and yet we are some of the most disgruntled, discontented, unhappy, ungrateful people. We have access to more information, all the latest scientific developments and discoveries. We have volumes of knowledge. We have universities like the University of Toronto across the street that that convey so much knowledge, but we lack the wisdom to make for a good life. Musician Tom Waits says this, we are buried under the weight of information which is being confused with knowledge. Quantity being confused with abundance and wealth, with happiness. We have more entertainment available to us, more technology that dazzles, but we've lost a sense of wonder. We live this flat line, disenchanted life. We have more articulated freedoms, more defined rights, but we're more obsessive and compulsive, fearful to speak our mind, trapped in in communities of like-minded people, sadly lacking in the experience of freedom. We have greater health care and hygiene, and we have more powerful weapons and higher walls and security systems, and yet we are more anxious and more insecure than ever. We've been offered bread, but it doesn't satisfy. As the Rolling Stones have sung, I can't get no satisfaction, or a U2 has sung, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
Why? Because as Bruce Springsteen sings, and I'm using a lot of artists here, because artists are often able to get to some of the heart of what our culture is longing for. Springsteen says, we've got a hungry heart. And they're all just echoing what Augustine said years ago, centuries ago, when he says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, God. And Augustine and Mick Jagger and Bruce Springsteen are just echoing what Jesus, the reality Jesus is speaking about here. Do not work for food that spoils, that'll never satisfy. And so we center our lives on Jesus because after all our searching, after dead end after dead end, we found he is the one who offers life, eternal life, real living. As one of the disciples said later on in this chapter 6, to who else can we go? You are the one who have the words of life. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger. Imagine that. The bread of God, Jesus says, I'm the bread of God who has come down from heaven. Now this is really fascinating. Jesus says that the life of heaven himself is a person. It's not an ideal, and it's not a mystical force or experience. It's a person. This is pretty important for us because a lot of religions and philosophies will conceive either one of the two. You know, either it's, a, it's an intellectual pursuit, it's an ideal that you can think about and attain, or it's a mystical experience. Christianity says it includes those, but it's a person at heart. Christianity is not primarily an intellectual religion. It's not primarily a mystical religion because the bread of heaven isn't primarily an ideal or not primarily a force. It is a person. And you can know a person. You can welcome a person. You befriend a person. You can talk and listen to a person. Jesus said that unless your faith, your religion is radically personal, you probably haven't understood Christianity well. In the person of Jesus is found real life. And the way to receive this life, Jesus says, is pretty simple, pretty unencumbered. Verse 28, Jesus says, the crowd asks Jesus, what do we have to do to do the works of God? God requires. And Jesus turns around and says, pretty simple. The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. That's a pretty clear, straightforward, no-nonsense statement. To, To believe in the one he has sent. If you want to receive this life, this bread of heaven, you have to see that you can't work for it. The one work that will get you this bread of heaven is to see that you can't do any work for it to earn it. You simply receive it. You simply take it in. And I know it sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? Scandalously so. There's something in our merit, merit, we believe in the meritocracy of things, and so we figure, man, we got to earn something. we got to do something at least for it. And Jesus says, just believe. Scandalously simplistic, and it is that. But, but you, let's be clear about it, too. It means so much more than we might think. The word believe is so much more than just intellectually assenting to something. That's how, how often we think of the word believe. You know, if I just believe this doctrine, this, this belief, that conviction, I'm good. And, and that's a piece of it. Content, intellectual content is a part of it. Um, belief, faith involves knowledge. In fact, it involves the best thinking of our, and the best logic. So many people think that to become a Christian, you need to sort of check your brain at the door or that faith just, you know, it's like this little pixie dust. It gets magically, poof, you got faith. And 
the Christian understanding faith is so different. Faith begins by thinking, believing and thinking. They're not opposites. Trouble is, as Morton Kelsey once wrote, the problem with many Westerners is that they know their Christianity only intellectually. So believing God is not less than knowing the truth about Jesus, but so much more. It involves the heart. It involves all of our life. Faith has an objective side. It's got a subjective side to it too. It's both mind and heart, cognitive and affective. And the best word to describe that, that word for believe is, is trust. Jesus calls us to trust him. And that's a far bigger thing than simple intellectual assent. Believing in Jesus is trusting him and entrusting him with our lives. It is giving over to him every aspect of our living and saying, Jesus, I've been looking for bread, for life in all sorts of different places. I've come up empty. Would you show me your life? And so we do that with our thoughts. You entrust your worldview, how we see the world around us to Jesus. And he who shows us a new way to understand this world. Understanding the world that at the center of the world, that the universe is a loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. So generous, so giving. You understand your relationships, your sexuality. You entrust them to Jesus. You entrust your finances to Jesus. Your wallet to Jesus. One of the most difficult things you can do. You shift the center of gravity from yourself to someone else, to Jesus. He becomes your reference point. He becomes your center. You see how that is so much more than just assenting to beliefs? And maybe some of you are wondering, I don't know if I could do that. That feels like that asks too much from me. But don't you see, you're already doing that just with something else, with someone else. You are already entrusting yourself. You already have placed your faith in someone, in something, some vision of what living is all about. You're trusting perhaps cultural voices or professors or conventional wisdom, often without examining how trustworthy those things are. You're giving your life over to those things already, hoping that they will deliver the life you so hunger for. you got to know this. You have the capacity to trust Jesus with your life. Now, it's very hard for us to do that, to get really objective, to, to, to believe in him, because that necessitates quite a change. We lose control over our lives, and we have this built-in conflict of interest bias, a bias not to believe in things that are going to unsettle our lives. And so, for us to believe in the truth of Jesus... It, we need to double check all our doubts because our bias is to doubt. We need to double check all our skepticism because you know you've got this tremendous motive not to believe, to water this down somehow. So how can you trust Jesus? It's a process, isn't it? It doesn't all come, boom, in one moment. It's a process. It's something that grows over time. Think of how you trust a friend or how you trust a spouse. In our relationships, that sort of trust and the giving of yourself to another person, it happens over time. It happens as we watch the other person, as we observe their actions, as we learn to think, no, this is a trustworthy person. And as we listen to them, as we sort of hear what's internal to them, we get a sense for what lives inside of them, what animates them. 
And it's the same thing with Jesus. We learn to trust him in the same way. Engage Jesus, would you? He offers life. Listen to what he says. Look at what he has done. Look at the teachings of Jesus, at his sayings. And I'm not talking about the wisdom of his sayings. That's reflected on a variety of different religions. But I'm thinking about the claims that Jesus made. What he said is unlike anything offered by other religious leaders or teachers. Think of the way Jesus often spoke. Other teachers would speak by an authority other than themselves, but Jesus spoke with authority. He would simply say sometimes, truly, truly, I say to you, no appeal to a higher authority. In this passage again, he would say, truly, I tell you, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. After hearing Jesus talk this way, one rabbi, a rabbi named Jacob Neuser, wants to ask Jesus, who do you think you are, God? Well, yes, Jesus would say, that is what he is claiming. In the Gospel of Mark, we, we see demonstrations of that. We see Jesus speaking to demonic powers that had a hold on people. And he doesn't speak magical incantations, you know. He doesn't do a little hocus-pocus dance or anything. It's just a word, boom, be gone, and that thing is gone. What is this people wonder about, this new teaching? And with authority, even evil spirits obey him, they say. Mark tells us also of an evening. Um, when the disciples were caught in a pretty violent storm on the Sea of Galilee and waves were crashing in over the sides of the boat and, and Jesus was on the boat fast asleep, you know, with his head on a cushion and the disciples wake him up, Master, we're going to die, help us. And Jesus stands up and he addresses the environmental factors, the forces, and he says, be still. No appeal to a higher power again, no prayer, just speaking directly to nature's raw power as the creator of that wood. The winds die down, the seas become perfectly calm, and the disciples ask, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Think of how Jesus spoke of himself in his preaching and teaching. Other religious figures would say, follow the law, or follow the way of love, or follow the eight path towards enlightenment. But Jesus would say, no, follow me. Drink of me, eat of me, abide in me, be yoked to me. In this passage alone, take note of all the personal references, I, me, mine. Jesus is calling people to himself, not to anyone else. Moses never made himself the issue in Judaism. Muhammad never made himself the issue in Islam. Buddha never made himself the issue in Buddhism. Again, one Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Solomon Freyhoff, once observed that no Muslim ever sings Muhammad, lover of my soul. No Jew ever sings to Moses, I need thee every hour. But followers of Jesus sing both, focused in on his person. No one claimed the things that Jesus did about himself. And interestingly, as he did this, he convinced the people closest to him that it was true, that he was God. Now, that is no, that, that's uncommon in itself. Because first of all, first century Jews were probably the people least likely to accept the claims of someone coming along saying they were God. Their idea of God was very clear. God was this transcendent, holy, other. Jews and, I mean, uh, Greeks and, and Romans had other notions of God that sometimes the gods, Zeus and others, would sort of come down in disguise. But the Jews, 
had a very clear understanding of God. They were taught never to worship anything created. They didn't even use the name of God. It was too holy. They were the last people on earth to believe that Jesus was God, a first century Jew. But also, it's the people closest to you. Because the people who you live with and sleep with, they can see all your flaws and frailties, can't they? They know you full. Here are these people who lived with Jesus for three years, ate with him, knew him, and worshipped him. Because they believed, they heard his claims, they believed him. And of course, there's his death and his resurrection. Jesus not only died, but after three days in the tomb, he rose from the dead. And that body was not just taken away, but transformed. It was not resuscitated, it was resurrected. Taken through death into a whole new order of existence. And hundreds of people. Different groups at different times, 500 at one time, saw this, attested to it. And that experience so changed people so much that they went out throughout the world, spreading the faith, changing the world, even dying for that faith. How do you account for that? Seriously, how do you account for that? If Jesus is the most influential figure in the history, if he claimed to be God himself... You can't just walk away from Jesus, can you? you got to study him. you got to engage him. Can you open yourself to that living reality of Jesus? Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, and, and this, you, you need to do this in a fresh new way, or whether you've never done that. And maybe this is the first time. Open yourself to the life that Jesus offers to us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore how we can do that. We're going to look in in the coming messages about three key practices in which we continue to feed on Jesus. In in the chapter 6 of John, later on, verses 53 to 59, you see Jesus continually using present tense verbs all have to do with feeding. How do we continue to center our lives and feed on the life of Jesus? How do we receive, digest, metabolize this life of Jesus in us? And for the next few weeks, we're going to explore what we're calling the rhythms of good news. How do we take in this life of Jesus and digest it? Because when we do that, we find there's a vitality about our life. And we find that our relationship is it's a personal thing, not an impersonal thing, not just an idea, not an experience, but a real personal living reality. So friends, work it in. Feed on Jesus Christ metabolize his life in yours, taking the truth of Christ and making it part of yourself. Let's pray. Father, Jesus is the one who you have approved. Jesus is the one you have sent to give life. He is the bread of life. He is the thing that sustains us. He is the one, the life, which we cannot do without. He is the life we have been looking for. Forgive us for all the ways we have either dismissed Jesus, his claims, or the ways we have maybe tried to water down his call upon our lives. We ask, Jesus, that in a fresh way, we might seek you. We might follow after you. We might open our life so that we might know the fullness of the life that you offer to us. Would you do that among us, Christ? Through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.